So today is Father's Day, and so a great celebration and warm greeting for all the fathers. And today I think of my own father. And there's one time when, when I was in university, and I was driving my brothers and sisters to Mass. It was in a blue Honda Pilot, and there was some street parking. And as I was, I kind of pulled forward, and I was kind of pulled back to kind of get back into the spot. But as I was pulling back, I heard, <laughs> and I was like, oh man, that's not going to be good. So I went out and looked on the side of the door, and it wasn't just a scratch, it was a gash on the side of the car. So I was like, oh man. And what I realized was that there was a cement flower pot, a giant one that was like just on the street, just enough, just so I could hit it. And so I was like, oh man, I got to tell my dad. So I went to church, and I was sweating, bullets, <laughs> nervous. You know, Mass had a whole new meaning for me. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Peace be with you, Dad. Peace be with you. And then finally, at the end of Mass, I went up to him and said, Dad, I scratched the car. And then I could see his face contort. Because <laughs> he wanted to be angry, but he just finished receiving the Eucharist. <laughs> so he took a deep breath. He says, it's going to be okay, Troy. I'm like, oh, great. So if I do anything wrong, the best time to tell my parents is after Mass. <laughs> and eventually, he, he fixed the car door himself, because that's a couple thousand, and I couldn't fix it for sure. And that's the main point I want to get across, was that, you know, my dad, for me, was always an image of the Heavenly Father, Someone who always provided, even when I couldn't, even when maybe I didn't deserve it. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to convey to us today, that our Heavenly Father not only provides, but He also loves. Because I think for many of us, we believe that He can provide, but we're not sure if He loves. You see, when Jesus was with the apostles on the sea, he's trying to teach them this lesson. You know, the Sea of Galilee, it's a beautiful sea. You got a chance to go to Jerusalem. And we got to go on a boat and just to ride on the Sea of Galilee and to see people fishing. And it's a beautiful, peaceful sea. But it's not a big sea either. But the way that the tunnel, mountains are formed outside of the sea, it kind of forms like a tunnel. So that whenever there's a great wind that goes through, it's kind of funneled right into the Sea of Galilee. And so while we were there, our tour guide said that the waves could be 10 feet high. So imagine double my height, a wave just coming at you several times. And so we can just understand then why the apostles were terrified. These giant waves coming. But ironically, Jesus sleeping peacefully. And so the apostles come up to Jesus and they ask him a very interesting question. If you listen carefully, it's very perceptive. They said, they didn't say, Master, are you not able to save us? They didn't say that. They said, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? And it's a very significant difference because the apostles did not doubt his ability to provide, 
They did not doubt his power, but they doubted his love. Right? Master, do you not care? Right? Obviously, the reason why we're here is because you don't care. That's the implication, right? And I find that resonates deeply in my own life. Have you ever gone through some sort of suffering or traumatic event? You're angry at the situation, but what's interesting is I find that I'm angry at God. That happened when I was really confused in my vocation. and Something kind of traumatic happened to me. And I was angry at the situation, but I was all angry at God. Because I knew that at the snap of his finger, he could change anything. I knew that he had infinite power. I believed that. But I wasn't sure if I believed in his love. And so the waves in the gospel today are a symbol of the suffering that we all encounter, crashing upon the boat of our hearts. And so have you ever felt this way? where you doubted not his power, but you doubted his love. And I think that's why the book of Job that we hear in the first reading today kind of highlights this in a deeper way. I really encourage you to read the book of Job if you haven't already, because it's trying to answer this basic question that many people have. Why do good people suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? Is it because of their sins? Right? And of course... In the story, Job is a righteous man, and he has all his tons of barns, tons of children. But it begins with a test, right? Satan goes to God in the heavenly throne. He says to the heavenly Father, he says, God, Job only worships you because you give him everything he needs, and it's good. So then God's like, okay, I'll, I'll let you do what you need to do. So then Job loses all his material things. He loses all his children, and he even loses his own health. Boils begin to develop on his skin. And it's so bad, he's such in a profound suffering, that he even curses the day that he was born. I wish I was never even born. That's how bad my suffering was. And then so what happens in the story is that his friends come to address him. It's beautiful, actually. They stay with him for seven days, saying nothing. But eventually, after they each speak to him, they're all trying to say, the reason why you're going through this is because you have sinned. And so admit your guilt. But then Job is saying, I I haven't. I've, I've went through my conscience. I don't think I've sinned. And then eventually God addresses Job with questions. And we hear those questions in the first reading today. Right? Were you there at the foundation of the world? Do you have the power to contain the sea? And at first, when I read the book of Job, it seemed like God was saying, well, Job, you don't know anything, so just shut up. (laughs) But it's actually much more profound. It's much, much more profound. If you listen more carefully to the questions, they are rhetorical questions. So Job is going to say, yes, I wasn't there at the foundation of the world. I don't have the power to contain the sea. That's what God is trying to say. Job, if you don't fully understand the mystery of creation, if you don't have the power to contain the sea, how will you understand the mystery of evil? 
or understand the power that is able to contain it. And so what God is doing then, He's inviting Job to trust, to believe that He can provide, but that He also loves. And so God is trying to reveal to Job that there is a wisdom beyond our vision. You know, there's a lot of modern-day Jobs. And the most recent modern-day Job is actually the singer. And she's very inspirational. And she was on America's Got Talent. You've probably seen America's Got Talent. Where these people come up and there's judges, you know, critiquing their performance. And so this most recent video, it's probably gone viral on the internet. Her name is Jane. Her nickname is called Nightbird. And she's singing a song called, It's Okay. And so you just see this beautiful, small, frail young woman with short brown hair and ripped white jeans. And the song is quite phenomenal because she's had cancer three times in her liver, her lung, and her spine. And she's not even 30. She hasn't actually worked in the past several years because of this cancer. And now she was singing on America's Got Talent. And so when she was singing, she was, the song really captured the hearts of the people. It was silence in the auditorium. And even Simon Cowell, you know, the, the, the critical guy, even he was touched. He had to take a drink just to hold himself from weeping. And he actually gave her the golden buzzer. And she said this beautiful thing at the end. She said, you can't wait until life is not hard anymore before you decide to be happy. Right? You can't wait until life's not hard anymore to decide to be happy. And I think what many people were attracted to is the strength in the face of suffering. And so we kind of did a little more digging just to find out what, where does the strength come from? And if you, if you actually go to her blog, she details her story. You know, she says that she got cancer three times in three different places in her body before she was 30. And the doctors gave her a 2% chance to live. And then when her husband, to whom she was married, found out, he divorced her. Imagine. She's encountering this profound physical suffering. And your one emotional anchor just leaves. So then she goes to California, hoping to get a miracle. And she does. This doctor helps her. And she's able to live a little bit longer. But then all this pain and all this trauma kind of caught up to her. She said in her song, she's like, I was like a stick of dynamite. And the time was just waiting. And then she just broke. She broke down. She said that she would spend three months just in her washroom, just sitting in the tub, just crying on the bathroom tile in her robes. She cried out to God like Job, cursing, angry, sad, not wanting to live. And her prayers were just tears. But what really changed her life was that she encountered God in a really profound way in those three months, in that bathroom. She was there crying out to God and she realized Something. She was able to see him in a way. She said, these are her own words. She says, count me among the angry, but count me also among the friends of God. For I have seen him in rare form. 
I felt his exhale laid in his shadow. If an explanation would help, he would write me one. I know it. But maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us. Sometimes we think we need an explanation or we need to give an explanation to people. And there's a time for that. But she knew that God knew she wanted something more. She wanted his presence. And so she encountered his mercy in the small things in that bathroom. And so she says this really remarkable thing. Even on days when I'm not sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen to him. The mat in the bathroom floor. I know it sounds crazy, and I can't really explain it, but God is in there, even now. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they don't look low enough, and it's true. Look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. And so, we don't know sometimes why God allows such profound suffering in each of our lives. And Job kind of shows us that sometimes it's beyond our comprehension. And sometimes he allows us to go to the precipice of suffering to show that even he is there. He's there in the whirlwind, in the waves, on the floor. So what is your bathroom floor? What is your place of utter desolation, pain, and abandonment? Because he wants to meet you there, just like he met the apostles, just like he met Job, just like he met Jane. He wants to show you that he can be faithful even there, that he can provide, and that he does love. And that's what Job realized in his encounter with God. And I encourage you to read later on in the story. And this is what he says after encountering God. He says, I know that you can do all things. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you.